some of the major cultural beliefs and practices that have power to shape how we think about many things. And our goal is to find a way through the maze by discerning God's will for how we should think and live, and His will is good. So in our first message, we established that we're going to look at God's Word, the Bible, as the authority for how we're going to decide what's good or bad. And then the second message, we learned how cancel culture works against our coming to agreement about what God's Word says and about all the topics that we're going to do in this series. And we agree that we will resist cancel culture and seek to agree in the Lord. Today's message moves more directly into the actual worldview of our culture. We're going to talk about a foundational principle that underlies much of the revolutionary change that we've seen in our culture in the last few decades, and I'm thinking particularly about the sexual revolution, which has changed and shaped our culture's ideas about gender and sexual ethics, and we are going to address those topics individually in coming sermons. But today, we're just going to understand and address the guiding principle that brought about all of these changes and how our society thinks about these issues. The principle is called expressive individualism. And even if you've never heard that phrase before, I guarantee that you have encountered the principle. And you may be more affected by it than you even know. So, today we're going to look at Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 to 31, and read the account of the day of creation when God created man in his image. And it's a foundational passage really for addressing the worldview of ex expressive individualism. So let's read Genesis 1, 26 to 31, and then we'll pray. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food, and it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Let's pray. God, our Father, show us the very goodness of your creation particularly in, in man, made in your image, male and female. 
and the great work that you've given us to do in this world, the purposes you have for us. We want to embrace that. We want to live in your goodness today. So show us again by your spirit the beauty of your ways, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, what is expressive individualism? I'll need a few minutes to do it justice, to explain it. I've looked through several definitions. A lot of them were technical and wordy and paragraphs, and uh, kind of starts, your mind starts to buzz after a while looking at all these things. So I've tried to boil this down into this simple concept. This is what expressive individualism is. It's the thought that you decide who you are and how you will live. You decide. You decide who you are, your identity. You decide how you're going to live, what you're going to do, how you're going to express yourself in the world. And that's how you're going to find your fulfillment in life is if you do that. That's a life principle uh, that's communicated through various slogans that you probably have heard, like be yourself or follow your heart or you do you. Those slogans are sometimes used in different ways by different people, but the cultural assumption behind them is that you find your happiness by doing life your way, and others should not interfere with you doing that. You do you, and I'll do me. <clears throat> Let me give you some examples of how this is communicated in our society. I'll, I'll give a couple of quotes from some mega-celebrities who are voices of our culture, but also influencers of our culture. So here's the first one, Taylor Swift, if anybody's ever heard of her. <laughs> she single-handedly doubled the fan base for the Kansas City Chiefs just by dating their tight end. I mean, that's influence. <laughs> well, she got an uh, honorary doctorate at New York University in May 2022, <clears throat> and at the ceremony, she said this to a packed Yankee Stadium. We are so many things all the time, and I know it can be overwhelming figuring out who to be, and I have some good news. It's totally up to you. It's totally up to you. That's the first belief of expressive individualism. No one can tell you who to be. You figure that out for yourself, in your heart of hearts. If you're an artist, if you're an influencer, if you're a cultural disruptor, even if you believe that you are a man in a woman's body, then that's who you are. That's your decision. It's totally up to you. That's the first belief of the expressive individualism. Here's the second quote. This is from Oprah. You don't even need to say her last name. There's only one Oprah in the world that anybody's aware of. On her Apple TV series in April 2021, she began an interview with transgender actress Elliot Page, formerly Ellen Page, by saying this, my hope is that this conversation can serve as an invitation for all of us to understand that every human born to the planet wants the same thing, and that is to be accepted, to be loved, and to live in health and safety as our authentic selves. And I really want to honor and celebrate your courage, Elliot, for sharing your truth. So that's the second belief of expressive individualism. It's a basic human right 
that we should live as our authentic selves, however we define that, even if that means I'm different than my biological gender. You deserve to be freed to live out your truth. So those are two of the voices promoting what we're calling expressive individualism, or you do you, I'll just call it that because that's easier. Um, but this isn't only the message of mega celebrities. This is woven into the fabric of our lives. I was just looking at my email inbox from like the last two weeks, just looking at a bunch of ads that I get because, you know, if you click on something, you start getting emails, no matter what it was, if you're interested in it. Um, here's, here's what I got in my inbox. A productivity planner advises me, create goals that reflect positive desires for who you want to be. A life coach says, it's crucial to define your aspirations precisely and delineate the milestones that pave the way towards the life you envision. A mountaineering coach tells me, put yourself first. Book the trip, and I get to be a small part of your epic dreams. You can tell what my interests are from what kind of emails I get in my inbox. See, uh, I want to be productive, I want to do life well, and I want to climb mountains. And, so, uh, and they know how to, how to get me to want to do that even more uh, by telling me that I'm the one who decides what my goals are and my dreams and my path of life should be. And, and then your job, if you're a mountain coach or a productivity company or whatever, your job is to affirm my self-identity and support me in pursuing it. Now let's ask a question. Is this way of thinking going to lead to your ultimate fulfillment if we do it this way? You decide who you are and how you're going to live. Is that going to deliver the happiness that we think that it will? Well, on the face of it, there are some elements that sound pretty good. I mean, who can argue against realizing your potential in the ways you're gifted? Who can argue against the beauty of creative expression in the arts and in our jobs? There are some things that we can affirm. However, the principle that's communicated as you do you and so forth is not just that. It's this wholehearted committed to the idea that you decide who you are and how you will live. And no one, not your neighbor, not your employer, not your congressman, or even an organized religion should be allowed to hinder your definition of who you are and how you're going to express it. Now, if we take that understanding of you do you to its logical conclusion, flaws start to appear. Consider this thought experiment. How would you react if somebody posted a billboard on I-25 going through Denver that said, you do you, and the picture of the example was Adolf Hitler? You wouldn't be okay with that because we inherently know that you do you can't work without some qualifications. There has to be some standard that governs who we are and what we can do without, with our lives. And that's what brings us to Genesis chapter 1. Because Genesis 1 is God's answer to expressive individualism. Verse 26, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. Verse 28, God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth 
and subdue it. That scripture tells us who we are and how we should live. We are made in God's image. That's our identity. And he gave us a job to do as his image bearers. This filling and multiplying and subduing and having dominion. And this is how we are going to find our fulfillment as human beings. But it isn't for deciding, from deciding for ourselves who we are and how we should live. It's by embracing who God made us to be and what He made us to do. So let's walk through the text. Let's soak in the goodness of being made by God and what He made us to do in two points. And then we'll talk about um, why we don't experience what we should in this world and then end with the way God has provided for us to be restored. So, Genesis 1, the first thing we learn is who God made you to be. Verse 26 again, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. Big important point. We are made. <laughs> we, we are created beings. Someone else did it. We're created by God Himself. And, and just so we don't miss the point and how important it is, it's repeated three more times in verse 27. So God created man in His own image. In the image of God, He created him. Male and female, He created them. Everything else in the creation account was also created by God, but mankind, male and female, was made, was created, was created, was created. That's like bold face type and underlining. Like this is, this is the crown of creation. Everything else was leading up to it. Galaxies being formed and everything else was leading up to the big moment, which wasn't the creation of the galaxies. It was the creation of man, male and female. And that's who we are. We're made in the image of God. That means we are more like our Creator than anything else in the universe. You have the capacity to know God. You have the capacity to worship Him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. You have the capacity to be in a personal relationship with Him. Because later in Genesis 3, it speaks about the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day where he calls out to the man. We were created to walk with God as our creator and be like him. Nothing else in the universe from black holes to mountain ranges to household pets was able to do that, is able to do that. Only you are because you are created in the image of God. That's the real jackpot in life. <laughs> That's the good stuff, to know and be known by our very creator, God. Psalm 73, 28 says, The nearness of God is my good. Psalm 16, 11 says, In your presence, God, is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Have you ever tasted and seen that the Lord is good, as Psalm 34, 8 exhorts us to do. If you have, then you know how good it is to be created in the image of God so that you can know the God who created you. 
And He is amazing. There's joy in His presence. It is our good to be near Him and to know Him and to walk with Him, talk with Him. God has given us that ability, but He hasn't given anything else in creation that ability. That's who we are. Now, the reality of being created has two main implications for us as human beings. First, it means we have intrinsic worth. We have inherent dignity and value. Psalm 139, David says to God, You formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Fearfully and wonderfully. That means you're not just the product of cell multiplication that happens and develops into an embryo and then into a fetus and then you're delivered and then somebody says it's a boy or it's a girl. That's not all that you are. No, you're so much more than that. God made you. It says He formed. He was involved in that entire process so that when that baby that was you was delivered and somebody said it's a boy or it's a girl, that was exactly the boy or the girl that God your Creator wanted. With all the, all the details, the very hairs of your head are numbered. You're not just an accident. You're not random. You were put in this world by the God who created you according to His design. And He made you very good. And that was His pronouncement at the end of the creation days. And God saw everything that He had made including man and woman, and behold, it was very good. You're created wonderfully in God's image. That's your intrinsic worth. And that worth is the reality behind every command about loving your neighbor. Why do we treat people with respect, no matter who they are? You don't even know them. Because they're made in the image of God. They're more like God than anything else in this world. that's why we do it. So you don't need to figure out who you are by looking within. God has already told us who we are. You're made in His image, a privilege that no other created being shares. But here's the other thing. Being made in God's image also means we're accountable to God for how we live. You know, like what Uncle Ben said to Peter Parker before he became Spider-Man, or after With great power comes great responsibility. (laughs) We can say, with with, with being made in God's image comes great responsibility to bear His image well. We, We bear the family resemblance, you might say. We're to take after our Creator in His character and in our ways. And there's no time to describe all of God's characters and ways, but suffice to say, God is good which is why he created something that is very good. Only the original good can create good, and he did, and part of that good is you. And that gives us a responsibility, though, which is to reflect him in all of his goodness. We are in his image, not in our own image. And his image should shine forth from us in who we are and what we do. The point is we're not autonomous beings, who can just decide to do whatever we want. 
our Creator has a purpose for us, a life to live that's consistent with being made in His image. We're to do things after the likeness of our Creator. And that leads to the second point, which is what God made you to do. Again, verse 28, God said, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over every living thing that moves on the earth. That's a job description for image bearers. There's a lot to say about that, but first we should deal with those words subdue and have dominion. We don't like words like that, I don't think. (laughs) We have a natural aversion, subdue, have dominion. That sounds a little bit like a dictator, you know, and nobody wants that. But remember, this is a command that was given in a very good world to very good people before anything was corrupted. So to subdue and to have dominion didn't have any of the negative aspects that we associate with those words. Simply put, this is a command to reflect the image of God in how we live in this earth to display His character and His ways in what we do. So subdue. That means in the sense of tame this world and put it to good use. Take, take the bounty that's in it, in, in the soil and the minerals and the rivers and the wind, and, and harness their potential and make stuff out of it, power things, build civilizations, uh, do all this stuff. It's there for you to work with, to, to tame it, subdue it, harness it, marshal it for good purposes, like your Creator. So make smartphones and satellites, music and art, buildings and bridges, all these things that reflect God's genius, God's creativity, and the abilities that He's put in us. So think of your smartphone just as an example. Mankind has subdued the earth to produce that. I mean, just think about it, like... There was silicon in there that probably came from sand somewhere, from some smelting factory, and somehow it ended up being this crystalline thing that they chopped up into pieces, and then they put these little teeny microcircuits in it, and then the thing can power a whole vast array of things. You know, you can click a button and buy something, and it shows up at your door the next day (laughs) through this thing that was created by man. You know, giraffes are cool, but they can't do that. But man can do that. It's just incredible. That's, but that's in the image of God. That's subduing the earth. It's doing something no other living creature can do because no other creature is in, is in his image. And to have dominion over the creatures, that's a reflection of, of man's supremacy as the only living creatures who are made in God's image. You can learn about God's character from lions, for sure. But they're never described as in His image. You are, though. So you are, you are above them. You are above the animal kingdom. You are superior to it. The other creatures are amazing. Uh, we watch planet Earth. <laughs> like the th- We're on the third iteration now. The, the photography just keeps getting better. Uh, where you have all these amazing shots of animals doing crazy stuff, and you're like, how in the world? You know, bee colonies, how does that work? 
Um, it's amazing. And we have regard for the life of our beast, it says in Proverbs 12.10. We, we care about the animal kingdom, but some of the animal kingdom is going to pull your plows. Some of them are going to be your pets. Some of them will become your food. You have dominion. You have superiority over all of it because you're made in the image of God and they're not. And we love our dog, but she's not in God's image. <laughs> but we love her. <clears throat> we're to subdue the earth, we're to have dominion over the living creatures, and we're to do that together. Fill the earth means populate it. That means we don't do this alone. We do this in community with, with other image bearers. God's intention is to have an entire world full of people who are all pulling in the same direction. All of us in harmonious relationship with God and with each other and all doing what He made us to do, which is fleshed out in all kinds of detail in the commands of Scripture, for example. So to sum up the lessons of the creation account, God has given us our identity. God has given us our path in life. Our highest good is to gladly embrace who God made us to be and to do what God made us to do. And when everyone is doing that, that's the situation that God declared is very good. But as you know, that isn't the world we have today. So let's go to the next point, what we have become. And here's the reality of things. We've all become expressive individualists in some way. Because instead of gladly embracing God who made us and doing what God made us to do, we often decide who we are and what we want to do without reference to our Creator. We live as if we're not created beings. We create our own life. It started with the first male and female in the Garden of Eden when they decided to ignore God's instructions and they ate the fruit of the tree, which was off limits. They decided to live without reference to God in that moment. That was the first appearance of you do you in the world instead of you do what God made you to do. It continued and spread. When you get to the period of the judges, after the people of Israel entered the promised land, it says, in those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. That's another way of saying, you do you. They all did you. <laughs> you decide what's right in your own eyes, and then you go do it because there's no king that can tell you that you can't. That's expressive individualism. It's your life, your way. And a God who has something to say about who you are and what you are to do, he doesn't factor into the equation at all. You do you isn't new. It's, it's as old as humanity itself. And we've all participated in some way. In Isaiah 53, 6, it says, all, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. We're all expressive individualists now. And there's fallout for that. That hasn't been an improvement on the very good creation. It's led to some serious consequences. So after Adam and Eve tried you do you and they disobeyed God's command, it wrecked the world. 
I mean, there's still the, the remnant of the beauty of the very goodness about it. Like we've got a beautiful white snow out there. We've got mountains. There's so many things that are still beautiful and good and right. And yet there's this, this foreign element that was inserted into it, this destructive element that, that brings things down and causes decay and things aren't the way they're supposed to be. That started in the garden because after they disobeyed God, then they were separated from him relationally. He cast them out of the garden there was conflict introduced into the relationship. He's going to rule over you. There was even the ground itself is cursed, so it's going to yield thorns and thistles. It's going, to, it's going to be pain that you're going to labor every day. All of that was the fallout of doing you instead of doing what God calls us to do. And the, and the big one is death. You get into Genesis chapter 5 and you see so-and-so lived and then they died. So-and-so lived and then they died. And you see that over and over and over again. Drives home to the point. Death came through you do you. <clears throat> it's not working for us. <laughs> you do you. We're still living with all the effects of that today. Let me just mention a couple ways it's true and you know this. Um, I mentioned earlier that if you carry you, you do you to its logical conclusion, the flaws start to appear. But here's, here's what happens, and you know this. What happens when you do you conflicts with somebody else doing them? So the person who smokes pot on his patio next to the guy who's a recovering drug addict, and he can't be around that. How is that going to work? The business owner who wants to become wealthy and he pays his employees an unlivable, tiny wage, so they walk off the job. One person wants gun control, another one wants to own guns. You see that there's all these different competing ideas of you do you, and inevitably that's going to create conflict because we don't all live according to the same wants and desires as a result of the fall. That's why you do you necessarily creates chaos on a large scale. Someone has likened it to a room full of people all shouting their own name at the same time. It's not a chorus, you know, where everybody's actually singing in harmony and it creates a beautiful oneness. It's a cacophony. It's, it's competing voices that have no organization, and every one of them is just trying to top each other. It's competition. It's not coordination. It creates chaos. You can't, you can't build something with that. It's not a picture of a, of a world pulling together in the same direction like at the creation, it's a picture of everyone going in their own direction. And I think that explains our polarized political environment today. We aren't pulling in the same direction. If everybody's doing you, you do you has gone national and people have separated into camps that compete for power for their own version of you do you and has shut down the opposition. It just creates conflict. More than that, it runs against any of God's commands, especially the ones that require us to not do you, <laughs> to not do your impulse, <laughs> the, to sacrifice for somebody, or to subordinate yourself to someone else because they're in a place of authority. It totally destroys that. Why should you honor your father and mother 
if they don't approve of your life choices, just leave. Why should you sacrificially love your wife as Christ loved the church when you'd rather be out golfing with your buddies all the time? Right? You do you destroys these things. It conflicts with God's good commands when what you want isn't what, what God wants for you. And that brings on us guilt, separation from God. It means we aren't going to experience the thriving that God intended. We won't find our fulfillment by deciding for ourselves who we are and how we are going to live. We find that by embracing who God made us to be and do what God made us to do because He is good and His will is very good. His command to honor your father and mother, it actually comes with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. You see, God's, God's commands have this promise of goodness that He wants it to go well with you. Even if you are saying, but I don't want to honor them. Trust me, this is the good way. God's command to sacrificially love your wife as Christ loved the church is for the welfare of both the wife and the husband. I mean, what wife is going to say, my husband loves me too much. He'll do anything for me. He would die for me. I hate this. No, said no wife ever. But it's not just for her. It's also for the man because he who loves his wife loves himself. That is the closest relationship in the world that's possible for humans. And so when you're in that kind of closeness, if you're making her thrive, you're also going to thrive. God's will is good, even if it sounds sacrificial. <clears throat> even if it means you don't do you. <laughs> it's good. So what's the way forward? Because things are broken, and we're all expressive individualists at some level. How do we get back into the flow of what God intended? And that brings us to the last point. How we get back to the life God intended for us. The first part is not something that we do, but trusting in something that God has already done to remove our guilt for our expressive individualism, for going our own way. And here's how he did it. God himself stepped down into his own creation and became part of it a created being in the person of Jesus Christ, made in his image. And that person didn't just do you. <laughs> that person actually did what God created him to do 100% all the time. He never just asserted, I'm going to do it my way. Uh, like the devil did when he tempted him in the wilderness. Just, just fall down and worship me, and then all this stuff, all these kingdoms will be yours. He said, no, it is written. I won't do it. He just always obeyed God perfectly. He did his good and perfect will. Jesus knew who he was. In his prayer in John 17, he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. He knew who he was. Yes, he's this, he's this person born of Mary, but he's also God in the flesh. And I know what, that I'm here. I am your son. And that voice came from heaven. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And he knew that was his identity. 
And he knew what God made him to do and why he came. In John 17, again, he said, I glorified you on the earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And that work was that the Lamb of God would come and take away the sins of the world, as John pointed out. Jesus would become like the Lamb sacrificed in the Old Testament for the atonement of sins. His work was to go to the cross, to live a perfect life, and then to go to the cross and bear the guilt of those who go their own way, like us, to take the penalty for that so that we might be forgiven everything and restored to harmonious relationship with our Creator. And that all becomes ours when we put our faith in Christ. And this is what God has done to bring us back to what He created us to be and to do. And now our part is just to live in the good of that. If you're reconciled to God, that was the hardest thing. That took Jesus to do that. Now we can go back and say, okay, by the power of the Holy Spirit who dwells every believer, I can now reassert myself, realign myself to God's way and start doing the things God intended for me to do. And I read about them. They're all over this book here that we call the Bible that shows us the way. What does it look like to please our Father? How, how do I subdue the earth and fill it and, and have dominion in a way that he would, in a way that reflects back to him? Now I, ha- now I can because I have forgiveness and I have the Holy Spirit. And now everything that I do, my job, my family, my downtime, my relationships, it becomes this way that I can display now the character of God in the world, the creativity of God, the love of God, the patience of God. All of that, we're freed to do that because of the person who came and wasn't an expressive individualist, but he died for those who are. And now Jesus is our guide. That's the only human being who's ever done it right, (laughs) and his life becomes our model. How do I follow You, Romans 8.29 says that believers are being conformed to the image of His Son, God's Son, Jesus, who is the exact imprint of God's nature, according to Hebrews 1. And here's what the Son says to us in Luke 9.23, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. That's how we do life now. We follow Jesus We live as He lived. He showed us how. We do as He does. Not dying for anybody's sin, but we will take up a cross, a cross of self-denial, which sounds like a bad thing. Like, oh man, I've got to have no more fun. Uh, I've got to take up this instrument of death, this cross, and and now it's a burden. And that's just, I just got to drag that along as I'm following Jesus. And it sounds negative, but what the self-denial is just denying ourselves the things that rob us of the joy of following Jesus. (laughs) The real joy is in following him. And it feels like death to say no to self and to not do you, but it's actually the way to life. You will suffer if you follow Jesus but it will be so totally worth it. You just hear how different that is from you do you, denying yourself. But it isn't really denying anything. It's really 
saying yes to the real joy. Let me close with this. Our, our highest good is to live as a, crea- a created being according to the will of our good creator. Instead of you do you, live out what God has done for you in Christ, live out of that. Instead of you do you, live like a creature in relationship with your creator in harmony with him. Instead of you do you, let your guide be you do what God made you to do. And that's where you're going to find your satisfaction. It's when we live in glad submission and trust in God, following His goodwill, following Jesus. I just want to close with this quote from John, John Wesley. This came across one of those things, when you click on things, you get more things. <laughs> so I get lots of quotes from all these little spiritual hero types. It was a prayer that John Wesley wrote a long time ago. I think it, it, it summarizes the attitude of, of what it looks like to just live in the good of being a creature under a great creator. And I hope it's our confession too. I am no longer my own, but yours. Put me to what you will. Rank me with who you will. Put me to doing. Put me to suffering. Let me be employed by you or laid aside for you. Exalted for you or brought low for you. Let me be full. Let me be empty. Let me have all things. Let me have nothing. I freely and wholeheartedly yield all things to your pleasure and disposal. Let's pray. We ask that you put this in our hearts, Lord. We're uh, under so much pressure to think differently. But your ways are so countercultural, counter every culture, because all of our cultures are affected by the fall. And we ask that you would help us to embrace the goodness of what you created us to be and to do. And thank you for the privilege. Thank you for giving us the opportunity to know you and be known by you and find joy and have a future and a hope with you forever. We bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand and sing in closing. Let's sing this prayer that invites the one who shaped and fashioned us in his likeness.